This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Last Sunday, Sonia brought a powerful word uh, from, uh, you know, from the word uh, on freedom and how uh, freedom in Christ is very essential for the Christian. And for all of y'all who were here, I got tons of messages from y'all saying that I need to make sure that she speaks more often. Now, that ball is not in my court, it's in her court, uh, because she says that she needs a month's notice, uh, and she has certain stipulations that she's given me that I have to meet in order for her to speak. So I encourage you guys to encourage her to speak more often. So there you go, I've put the ball in your court. And I think a lot of, for a lot of you, it was that she stopped on time. Uh, you know, I think that was a motivating factor for a lot of you. They were like, it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, I, I'll try my best, okay, Richard, to stop on time today. So uh, today I am actually going to uh, the story of a man called David. Um, he was a young man that had a heart for God, a man that was known as a lion killer, a giant slayer, a man whose heart was so thirsty for God, who ran after God, who pursued God. A young man that was anointed by God at a very young age, at, an, at the end, the tender age of 13, as a teenager, he was told that he was going to be king of the mightiest nation in the world. Very soon you would see how history would play out where the Philistines would uh, attack the people of Israel. And around this time, this young man, David, at a very young age, was known to play the harp and, and to sing songs and to be a worshiper under trees, tending to flock. And word got out to the king who was depressed and who went through seasons in his life that he needed calmness and stillness in his heart. That there was this young man when he played, the anointing of God flowed through him. And because of the anointing, God started touching people around uh, that man. And because of, the, uh, because of that fact, the king beckons this man, calls this man to his, his uh, palatial precincts. And David starts playing for the king. Uh, the Philistines attack. We have these, this story of how there's this Goliath, there is this giant called Goliath who fights on behalf of the Philistines and they attack Israel. And he, but David comes into the scene and I'm trying to fast forward this story. I can't go into every piece in detail. But David comes bearing food for his brothers who happens to be in the army. And David, this young man, sees this man, this giant, uh, hollering at the people of God. And he says, man, that's not cool. That's not nice. And he said, I will fight this battle. So the, the giant is saying, whoever is willing to fight, come forward, fight. I'm willing to fight you. And, and David says, I got this little, this little puny boy standing against the giant. But the long story goes short this way, that this young boy brings this this giant of a man down to the ground, kills him with the use of a sling and a stone. Overnight success story. He's insta-famous. He, he goes from a shepherd boy to a savior of Israel. 
He, people are singing songs about him. People are rejoicing. People are talking about this guy. He's on every poster. Everyone is rejoicing over the fact that Israel has now found a warrior, has found a man who is ready for battle, who will stand by the king and who will be a military man. He lands him a sweet job in the military, makes a best friend out of the king's son. He rises in military rank. He marries the daughter of a king. He is one step away from becoming the king of Israel. Man, if that is what anointing is, sign me up, right? That's how he rises up. Everybody loves David except for the king whose name is Saul. He gets bitter that the attention is not on him anymore. The limelight is not on him anymore. And while trying to play his harp one day, he is ministering to the king. The king, in a rage of anger, picks up his spear and darts it towards the direction of David. David somehow misses. He, he, you know, he dodges, he misses, and he's like, what's up with the king? I don't know if he's in one of those moods today. And he says, it's okay. I'm just going to continue playing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He continues playing. And guess what happens? Saul tries to do the same thing again. He pulls the same stunt, takes the spear, directs it at him, dodges again. David gets the second lease of life. At this point, David knows, no, 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 no. This is not one of his fields. This is dangerous. He leaves his harp, takes away running. David becomes Israel's most wanted man. The murder of David has been made top priority in the land of Israel. His face has been drawn on wanted posters that have been pasted on every home and every wall in Israel. The soldiers that, used to, that he used to lead have been instructed now to take his life. So God looks at him and says, man, I want, I want to anoint you. I want to use you. I want to build you. I want to make you great. I want to make you king. But for now, this season, you have to run. He loses his career. He loses his position. His wife packs up his bags, tells him to run. And, and the moment he leaves, he sells him out to the king. He marries, she, mar she, she sells him out to the king. She marries someone else. So in one day, he's lost his career. He's lost his marriage. He's lost his home. So he would run to his mentor who he would see one more time after this and he wouldn't see him again. His best friend he would see two more times, but he's going to be killed on the battleground soon. So desperation sets in. He runs to the priest, and when the king finds out that he has reached the priest with nowhere else to go, uh, the, the king kills the priest when he finds that out. And, and with nowhere else to go, he goes to his enemy, the Philistine camp, where he, he was the one that killed the guy from the Philistine army. And he goes over there, and they identify him. They recognize him. Everyone knows about David. And they say, man, aren't you the guy that tried to kill our guy? And David plays dumb, and he's like, who, me? I don't know. And, and they think he's crazy, so they let him go. So he's lost his career, he's lost his wife, he's lost his home, he's lost his friend, his mentor, he's lost self-respect. Every single thing has been lost for this young man at such a young age. And all this while, he's thinking about the promise. He's thinking about what God told him, that you will become king. I wonder how many of us have been put in situations like that in our lives where we know what the promises of God are, yet our reality does not really line up 
with what God's promises are. In 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and verse 1 is where we pick up in the story. And I want to read the first verse from there and then we'll go to another passage in Psalm where we get the title for this message, Songs from a Cave from. In 1 Samuel chapter number 22, and if you're following with me, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is what the Bible says. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David departed from there and escaped to the cave in Adullam. This is where we pick up in the story. But this young man is running for his life and he has gone to this cave in Adullam. He has a few people that are going with him, that are, that are traveling with him. But the Bible is very clear in saying he has obeyed God's word in saying, you know what? This is a moment of travesty. It is a moment of downfall. It is a, it's, it's a hiccup in the bigger story that we're facing, but it's okay. We are going to get through this. So in a moment's time, he goes from a castle to a cave. He goes from high to low. He goes from adoration to isolation, from adulation to adulam. A man can go through so much in such a short time because circumstances did not really align up with the reality that he had in his mind. But what we get to do today is we get to go behind the scenes to see the mind of David as to how he processed the season of his life and how so many of us, if you have never been in this situation before, you will be equipped and ready to be able to face the caves that you and I will go through in our lives. And if you haven't been through one, I want to give you a rude awakening this morning. You and I will and shall go through a similar cave in our lives. Some of you are probably sitting there and saying, brother, preach to me. I'm going through a cave right now. Some of you probably just came out of a cave experience. Some of y'all, we've been in caves for like two years now. And you're like, pastor, preach it. I need this word this morning. But whatever category you fall in this morning, let me assure you and tell you, caves are God's patterns of blessings. They're in the, 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 the pattern in which God blesses the people he loves. So today we get to see the 30 by 30 account of David's state. We get to watch the all or nothing giant slayer edition in all its transparency because we like the behind the scenes stuff. And what's, gonna, what's about to happen is, is God opening our eyes into understanding that before the throne, there may be certain things that we have to go through that are not peachy, that are not nice, that are not good looking, that are not wonderful, but in all of it, God's hand is what assures you that in the cave, he's the one that is with you, not your circumstances. We will watch how a cave forged a man to become one of the mightiest and the most anointed kings that Israel has ever seen. We will not only see how this process was constructive to him, but we will see how it can be instructive to you and to me. And how that begins is in Psalm 142, and we'll kind of go over this in in an expository fashion, but in Psalm 142, there's this prayer that David is praying, and we'll do a few verses from there, and we'll go to another passage, and this is what the Bible says. David is praying this prayer from the cave, and he's saying, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. 
with my voice. All I have left is my voice is what David is trying to say. Haven't you been in those places where you're done fighting? You're done moving. You're done. You, you, you've, you've made all the moves you possibly can. And sometimes it's that sigh. Sometimes it's that, you know, the gasp of air. Sometimes it's that, I don't know if I got this anymore. I know some of the most deepest and the darkest times in my life, I've gone into the presence of God and I've, and not, had, I've, I've not even had, I, I don't know, I think he had words. I didn't even have words at some times in my life where it would be inner groanings. There'll be times in my life that I would just break down and I would go into the presence of God and say, God, I've done it all. I've spoken. I've, I've, I've tried to convince people. I've tried to present my case. I've tried to tell them that I was not wrong. I've tried to tell them that this, is, this was my intentions. I've tried to regain those friendships. I've tried to regain that trust, God, but nothing seems to be working. And when your back is turned against the wall, all you can do sometimes is just groan and cry in pain. And the word used over here, when, when David says, with my voice, it's kind of that, in, that, that, that innuendo that he presents where he's like, man, I just don't have words. It's just my groanings, my inner groanings that I'm letting out because I am in so much pain. He says, I, I don't have actions anymore. All I have left is my voice. Now, look at that verse. He says, I cry. He says, I plead. I complain. I pour out my, tr my trouble. Doesn't that sound like many of us? Doesn't that sound like us as Christians who, who complain and who cry and who talk to the Lord sometimes? Or are we Christians that just hold back and say, no, that's a sin. We shouldn't do stuff like that. He gets honest over here. He's like, Lord, I want to pour out my heart right now. If you want me to be real, I'm about to pour out my heart. In verse number three, he says, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the, path, in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I want you to listen to that word. On his right hand at all times were his warriors, his mighty men. David at all times had people at his call and back. At any moment, they would be there to fight for him, to stand by him, to, 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 to fight his battles for him. They, he always had people in his right hand. And right now, he's looking and he's like, man, I have nobody at my right. I want you to listen very carefully. Oftentimes in our life, God strips us of our right hand people when we start relying more on them than on him. Haven't you been in those places where all of a sudden the people that you trusted the most, the people that were by you and you thought will never leave your side, your BFFs, your bays, whatever you call them, they walked out on you and you were like, God, why? And God was like, because you were spending too much time with them and not with me. And God's like, sometimes you got to understand that I got to strip you of some reliance to show you who your reliance should truly be on. Can I hear? Can you talk to me this morning? Because I remember those friendships. I remember those closest friends that stabbed me in the back. I, I'm pretty sure that you can remember those people that were by you. They were your right-hand men, your right-hand women. And now they're coming, knocking on doors, finding out where David is because they have instructions. They have orders. 
There is no job. Trust me, guys. I know some of us are so devoted to our jobs. We love our jobs. We love our managers. We love our bosses. And I was just having this conversation just with somebody else the other day. And they told me the other day, no matter how much you give to your job, no matter how committed you are, no matter how dedicated you are, no matter how faithful you are, remember that you're always replaceable. But guess what? Your children don't get your time because you're more committed to that job that you think if you spend an extra five minutes on, you would get rewarded for it. And, and your children are suffering because of that. Your children don't have a father to play with. Your, your, your children don't have a mother to give them attention because something else is warranting that attention. He's in su- such a situation. He's like, Lord, I've invested everything. These people, I look to my right, I look to my left, and no one's there, God, and he's complaining. And God's like, thank you, that's, that's good. I'm glad you're coming to that realization. Do you remember that person that you were really attached to? Man, God has this way of taking away things or people that seem to be a stumbling block from you relying on him to be your support. And number one, the first thing that, that David does right here in this cave, in his song that he's trying to sing to God right now, the song of pain, The song of suffering, the first thing he does, I'm giving you three points today. The first thing he does is he gets real honest. He gets honest. Man, we all grew up, or some of us probably grew up in a religious context, and our prayers were cute and sanitized. Don't you know what I'm talking about? Like we had those, Lord, bless the food. Help us give nourishment to our bodies. Lord, those standard prayers. Lord, bless our family. Lord, bless this, bless that. We knew our prayers, right? I mean, I was five years old, and I think we were standing at, growing up, we were standing at a bus stop waiting, actually taking shelter because the, the rain was like coming down in torrents, and we were on our little motorcycle. My dad, my mom, my sister, and I, on this little motorcycle of ours and we had to pull over because we were going to church and we had to take shelter under this this bus stop that was there and and mom looked at me and said Ashish pray that this rain stops and the only prayer I knew was Lord bless this rain and 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 give it to us in Jesus name amen that's cute right it's that that's the that's the only prayer I knew because religion teaches you there are certain things that you got to do and no matter what happens in your life it could be rain but Lord bless this rain give it to me amen because that's all I knew that's I, I prayed that before I had my mac and cheese I prayed that before I had my pizza and why can't I pray that for my rain and a lot of us are caught in situations like that because prayers for us in relationship with God is more cute than real I'm getting real this morning okay someone say get real pastor Popular worship culture is telling us that. It's about blessing. It's about reigns. It's about anointing. It's about grace. And unless you see that, the Christian's like, man, we're probably not living the the blessed life, the, the thriving Christian life that we should be living. What should I say when I'm struggling? What should I say when it's pouring down rain? What should I say? Lord, bless the rain and give. No, no, there are times that you're gonna encounter in your life that's not gonna be peachy. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be sad. It's gonna be distressed. It's going to be tears. It's going to be months of tears, maybe years of tears. But what do you say in moments like that? And David would say, I'm I'm just going to be honest with you, Lord. And I'm praying today for honest people that can have conversations with God today. The Psalms and the Lamentations gives you precedence to complain, church. It tells you and me that we are human that we have feelings, that we have emotions, that we have downs and ups. It gives us that insight into, into pouring out our heart to the Lord in lament, to cry, to complain. It wasn't edited out of the Bible. 
pain wasn't said. Pain wasn't like, oh, we don't need this in the Bible. People are going to be turned off by this. Let's push this away. No, no, no. They included that. Because they said, no, you're going to go through pain. You're going to go through cave experiences. And when you go through that, what do you do? Do you sit there and say, oh, you know what? It's okay. It's all good. Smile. No, no, no. Some of us have to come to that realization that it's okay to be like David and say, God, I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm pretty, pretty upset right now. It wasn't edited out. It's not healthy if you don't lament. In our struggles, man, we have found stuff to help mask our pain as Christians. Can I be real with us this morning? We've, we've found, you know, there, there, there are many people that if they go through pain, they find ways to mask their pain. It could be drugs, alcohol, it could be sex, it could be whatever it is. But, but, but I know many Christians who won't turn to drugs or alcohol or sex to numb our pain. You know what many Christians turn to? Their refrigerators. They turn to their, their pantries. They turn to online shopping. They turn to Amazon and uh, the, the Amazon Prime and, and Netflix and to, to anesthetize their pain. And they, they feel like if they can just lock themselves up in a room and not answer phone calls or texts and binge watch Tiger King and say yes to the dress for days at length, maybe the pain will just go away. But here's the thing. They, Five days later, you might feel an alleviation of pain. You might feel like the pain kind of went away, but all you did was just suppress it. All you did was just paint over it with a few things of the world that you thought could mask that pain, that could take your mind off it. Don't we say that all the time? I just need to take my mind off things. Y'all, that's not the way that God works. God's not the God that says, I just want to take things off your mind he says, man, cast your burdens on me because I care. That's my Jesus. He says, I just don't want to take stuff off your mind. I want to take it off your heart. I want to take it off your life. I want to take it off. Cast your burdens on me is what God is saying. You just want to survive that time that you're in isolation in that cave. But sometimes it'd be, it starts by being honest with the Lord. It was in my early 20s that I laid it out, man. I, I was upset. I was angry with God. I thought that God didn't, didn't have my back. I was like, Lord, I'm very upset. I, I don't know what, what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if this is the path you have for me. I was very upset with God, even though I was in ministry. I remember a day that I had an honest and brutal conversation with God that ended up with, God, I am not happy with you. I am very upset with you. And some of y'all are like, whoa, Pastor Ashish, how could you be upset with God? Okay, God, do you want me to be real with you? Okay, here goes. I'm mad. This is how my conversation went. I'm mad. I'm upset because I've tried everything. I told the Lord, I'm upset because I've tried everything. I'm upset because my relationships fell apart. I'm upset because I was blamed for things I didn't do. I'm upset because the people that love me have turned their back on me. I'm upset because I, 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 was, I was hurt by my people. I'm upset because it feels like I'm running into the wall over and over and over again. And you don't seem to care, God. That was my exact conversation with God. How dare you, Ashish? That's not... That's not being reverent of God. No, no, I'm not, I'm not advocating irreverence by any means. I'm advocating honesty. I'm advocating being real. I think God loved it. I think God looks at that and says, man, I can work with that. I can work with that. I know you're upset and I know you're angry and that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that I'm still God and that you don't know what I'm up to and that's fine and you can, you can be angry all you want. But at the end of the day, I know what's best for you, but I can at least 
start with you being real for a moment. Can I make a statement this morning? Honesty is the soil in which intimacy grows. Try having intimacy with a person that you're not honest and real with. You can't. You can't have a relationship grow if someone won't be real with you. Haven't you had that conversation with somebody in your life that you looked at and say, just be honest with me, just be real with me. I just want you to be you around me. Don't you know that somebody that no matter who you are to the world, you can always go back to that one person and you can be real and honest with them and you do not fear one thing. Being a pastor, I meet those people every single day. I'm like, hey man, how you doing? I'm great. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm fantastic, Pastor. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Never been better. Blessed. TYJ. TYJs. Thank you, Jesus, by the way, for all of y'all who didn't know it. And I'm like, really? Man, are you sure? I, I'm, I feel for them sometimes because society has told them that's the answer. That's, that's the automatic response to, hey, man, how you doing? See, church has taught them that the automatic response to, hey, what's going on is, man, so good. Just, you know, everything's awesome, bro. Just, just awesome. Love, awesome. Love it. Love it. Awesome. So good. Awesome. And I'm like, really? Are you sure, bro? Because last I heard, your diagnosis wasn't really good. Last I heard, that doctor's report wasn't really good. Really? Because I know you lost your job. I, I, I really do. Like, like, really, I'm your pastor, and God has given me this ability to pray, and when I pray, like, God speaks to me, and I, and I know that, that your marriage is not that great, and your life is not all that peachy. I know, as a matter of fact, like, can, can we be real for a moment, but I don't say it because I want them to be open about it. Some of us hate being real because we get judged, and when we're real... Man, people judge us, people look at us differently, so we don't want to be real. We'd rather be loved for being fake. And, and church has taught us that, that we love you. Just put on a fake face. Just tell me that you're okay, even if you're not okay. And God's like, that's not me. God wants to see the real you, man. Rare, real is rare. Be real. Be genuine because that is exactly what God is looking for. And David begins with that. David starts by being real. He says, Lord, I'm pouring out my heart. That's the word he uses. He says, you want me being real? I'm upset. And here you go. This is my heart. This is what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm. You said cast your burdens. So here you go, Lord. I want you to hear what I'm going through right now. Honesty is a fertilizer which helps relationship grow into intimacy, y'all. That's what honesty is. You can't move forward unless you know where you are. If you call me and say, Pastor Ashish, I know we're coming to your house today. Can you give me directions to your house? I would probably ask you, hey, where are you coming from? Are you coming from east or north or south or west? I don't know where you're coming from. Tell me where you're coming from. If you're coming from Irving or Garland or Dallas, I can give you appropriate instructions. But, but I can't tell you where to come or how to come unless and until you tell me where you are. Because in order to get somewhere, you have to admit where you are. But the problem with a lot of us is we start washing down our pain with distractions and start talking to God and say, God, you know what, this is, I'm, I'm okay, or... Let me, let me distract myself with this or let me distract myself with that and I'll be fine. 
but I pray that some of us will get honest with God today. Authenticity is good, church. But this is what brings me to my next point. Don't, but that's not the goal. David is soon going to move on. He's not going to be curled up in a ball all his life. He's not going to brace himself all his life. The second point I want to leave with you is he gets perspective. Not only does he get real, point number one, second point is he gets perspective. What do I mean? His direction of prayer is to the Lord. Psalms 142, uh, it's kind of a continuation from uh, this last psalm that we just read, but it's more of a psalm that, that, that David is talking to God. It's another song that he's singing to God in his pain. The Bible talks about that. This, this is a psalm that he's, uh, he's writing in the cave again with Psalm 142 in verse number one, the Bible says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead mercy. Sorry, I, I, before I go there, sorry, we're still in 142. I'm, I got ahead of myself. I was talking about Psalms 57, but let's finish up with 142. But in Psalms 142, he says, Lord, I, with, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. You see that? Like, this, this, is, this is amazing. You see how he invites God into his struggles? He says, Lord, I cry out to you, Lord, but I cry out to the Lord. I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Who are the people that you run to with your troubles and your pains and your sorrows? Choose God before you choose people. Choose God before you choose medication. Choose God before you choose the report of the doctors. Not that I'm saying any of that is bad, but I pray that your structure, your support structure will be God before everything else. When you process with God, you invite God into your process. And that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to process his thoughts, his pain, his suffering through the process of God, right? In verse number seven, he pours all of it out. In the end, he says this, the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. There's this crack of hope that he sees in the middle of his despair, light at the end of the tunnel. But that's where we come to Psalms 57. I'm gonna take Psalm 57. I'm gonna take a slight tangent over here, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. This is a powerful scripture. Another psalm that he's writing, another song that he's writing from the cave. In the middle of his pain, he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge to the storms of destruction pass by. The cave that he's in is this cave called Adullam. Someone say Adullam. Adullam means refuge. It means refuge. But in the psalm, he's basically saying this. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, oh God. Be merciful to me for you, for in you, my soul takes refuge. You see David going on a different tangent here. Not only is he being real with God, but he's being real with himself and saying, man, who do I trust? I'm in this cave that offers physical refuge to me, but more than anything else, he admits to the fact that the cave isn't his refuge. God is his refuge. The giant slayer doesn't compare himself to a self-made man with a puffed up chest. He compares himself to a baby bird. He says, under your feathers, I take refuge, y'all. This mighty man of valor 
This man that people would, would, would shake their boots in to talk to, this guy is comparing himself to a baby bird, a fledgling. He says, I need to tuck under your wings till destruction passes by. I want to be tucked in with you. You know what isolation can do? The cave can give you perspective. It can give you insight. God never sends his people into the wilderness to destroy them. It's always to protect them and to provide them with insight. God uses isolation. God uses the caves that we go through in our lives to give us insight, to mold us, and to make us. You remember that time where Moses comes down from meeting with God and the people are worshiping this golden cow? He tries to put the blame, everybody's trying to put the blame on other people. And Moses said, man, we left the land of idols, Aaron. We left that land behind and we came out. We are the separated ones. And Aaron says, oh, the, the, the gold was just lying out there in the chest and it just made itself into an idol. I don't know what happened. Moses and Moses is like, no, 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 no. It just didn't make itself. The idol is still inside of you. See, isolation has a way of attracting idols and the tempter. And the question that God is asking is, what are you taking refuge under today? What are you trying to go back to? God shows us the idols that we take refuge in. For some of us, it's the things that we find our identity in. For a lot of us, our refuge is entertainment. After long days of work, when you're tired, what do you want to do? All you want to do is get on your couch, recline that lazy boy, switch on the TV and say, I need a chill. And some of us watch Netflix till it's coming out of your nose. For some of us, we're addicted to work because it some, somehow strokes our ego and I went over this already. But, but, but man, I, my, my question is, what do we cling on to? For some of us, we're addicted to substances or pornography because those are the things that give us relief and, and gives us that ability to process what we're going through. But isolation is this place of insight to show you that God is your refuge. These are not the things that you got to hold on to. But when you are tired, when you're at the end of the road, when your back is up against the wall, it is natural for you to seek refuge in all these things. But do you seek your refuge in the Lord, your God? Because he wants to be that for you, church. And in verse number two, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He's down. He's down physically. He's down spiritually. He's down mentally. But guess where he's looking? He's looking up. I pray that your posture will never, never change no matter what your circumstances. And that posture is I'm always going to look up to God. It's, this is remarkable. He's, he's, he's looking up to who? God most high. Someone say God most high. This phrase is not used much. It's kind of like a, a phrase that's used in a couple of verses, uh, places in the Bible, but it's first used in the context of Abraham. You know, Abraham used to be this wanderer who used to wander throughout in Genesis. And, and there's, there's a story told about how five kings go to battle with four kings. And they, they, they have all their armies and all the pomp. And the, all of them, they come together and there's this massive battle that goes on. And the last man standing was Abraham. And all of these kings, now listen carefully, all of these kings come together and they bow down to the God of Abraham. And guess what the phrase is that is used over there? It is the phrase that is used that says, the God most high is to be worshipped. 
The kings come and honor Abraham's God. And David is thinking about the God most high. The God most high directed Abraham, not circumstance. The God most high brought Abraham to to, to triumph over every other king. That is the God that David is looking to. He reminded himself that King Saul does not decide his destiny. God decides his destiny. He reminded himself of a... Abraham, who was a nobody, who stood in front of other kings who wanted to destroy him. And he came out as the victor. And he's speaking to his soul and saying, David, if God the Most High was with Abraham, who stood in the middle of other kings, you can stand and come out victorious in the middle of all the stuff that you're going through with King Saul. And this is a word for some of us today. Your boss doesn't decide your destiny. The kings in your life don't decide your destiny. Your co-workers that, that constantly bother you and are, are, are pain to you does not decide who gets the promotion. The guy that has 10 years seniority over you doesn't decide your future or your career. The, the person that's grading your paper does not decide what's going to come out of you. I want you to listen to this. The cave is not a calamity. It's an opportunity. The cave is not an end. It is a cocoon. God decides your future. He is the King of kings and the Lord of the lords. He is on the throne and nothing will change that. Kings of the world will come and go. But the one that will always remain has always been on the throne, is on the throne, and will continue to be on the throne because his name is Jesus. Your cage, your cave is forging a king. And you don't even know that, David. You have a promise but your reality is conflicting with your promise. But that's where I come in. If you have Jesus Christ, in Romans 8, it says that we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. There's purpose in your pain. Every teardrop, every blood, every sweat, he is not wasting your time. Get honest with God. Get perspective with God and say, God, I need you to be in control of my life. Some of us need to engage our soul. Start talking to your soul. Encourage your soul. That's what he's doing here. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the famed theologians, he says this, David lets himself talk, and then he talks to himself. I'll say that again. David first lets himself talk, and then he talks to himself. Sometimes we need to do that as Christians. We gotta let it out first. We gotta, we gotta let all the feelings and all the emotions, and then start talking to your soul. It's healthy to talk to yourself. It's not crazy. It's not cuckoo. Don't worry. If people think that you're crazy, tell them that Hannah did it. Tell them that David did it. Talk to yourself sometimes. Your soul needs encouraging sometimes. When your soul is down, talk to yourself sometimes because there's power. There's, there's, God gives the ability. In verse number three, the Bible says, he will send from heaven and save me. Watch these words. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. He's speaking to his soul. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose death, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They set nets for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. 
Church, I need some of y'all to declare this morning that my circumstances doesn't determine my story. My king determines my story. Say there are, see, there are kings in your circumstances and there's kings in, there are kings all around you that have a certain say in what you do. But let me tell you this, when four is up against five and when there are hundreds that fall on your side and ten thousands and thousands on your right hand and on your left hand, it doesn't matter. My God will ensure that your foot is set on solid ground. There are a lot of kings around you, but my question is, which king are you looking at? Oftentimes, in being so focused on King Saul, you can lose focus of King Jesus. You know, all through Christian history, it could be the Apostle Paul, it could be the Peters, the Johns, the John Bunyans, the modern Luthers, the Calvins. It doesn't matter. The moment of confinement was, was brought out their greatest work and their greatest revelations. It doesn't matter where you are. It could be an island of Patmos, but you can be assured that out of that dark, desolate place, there will be a revelation that God will bring out of you. And in verse number seven, he ends like this. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Oh, this is good. You see how this story shifts? In verse number three, he says, your love is steadfast. And in verse number seven, he says, my heart is steadfast. When you accept the experience or, or the, uh, the, the, the truth that the love of God is never failing and it is always steadfast, your heart automatically starts lining up with that message. Am I talking to somebody? The psalm starts with that. It says, God, you will, God will, God will, you will, you will. And now it's changing. He says, I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. He gets perspective. If God is moving, I'm moving. If he wills, then I will. I will, I will, I will, is what David is trying to say. I'm not going to wait for the season to pass. I'm not just going to sit around and wait till I feel 100%. I am going to move. He says, give me my harp. Give me my lyre. He speaks to his lyre. He speaks to his harp and says, wake up. This is good, y'all. This is, I, I don't know, I don't know if y'all are getting this. He says, wake up. He says, I'm going to sing before the sun comes up. I'm not going to be dragging my feet out at noon. I like this. He's saying, he's speaking to the sun and saying, rise up. Come on, somebody. This is good. He's not waiting for the sun to rise. He's speaking to it and saying, come on, rise up. Oh, if this doesn't excite you, I don't know what is because God is looking at some of us in the middle of our pain to look at the sun and say, rise up. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for this day. Come on, am I, am I talking to somebody today? He, he's looking at some of y'all to, to be giant slayers who can look at your temporary situation that you're in and say, I want to start singing. I want to start playing. I want to start prophesying into what God is about to do tomorrow. Son, you better get up. Uh, haven't you ever been in that situation? I don't know if you have, but I have grown up. Man, if something exciting was about to happen, if we were going to go to an amusement park or we were going to go to a vacation, I couldn't sleep at night. Like I, or, or if I slept, I was up at four o'clock. If we were leaving at seven in the evening, I was up at four because I was excited. 
what David is talking about here. It's like I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I can't wait is what he's saying. I pray that we will be men and women that when you wake up in the morning and your toes touch the floor, the devil squeaks and says, oh no, she's up. Oh no, he's up. I pray that we will be men and women that will stand our ground with integrity and say that we will move because God is moving because he will, I will. Perspective changes anything. He says, awake, O dawn, awake. That's powerful. I'm telling you to rise up. I can't wait to seize the day. I can't wait to get on my cocoon. I'm done running. I'm done escaping. He's calling me to run. And the third thing he does, and the last thing is this, he gets moving. In 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2, the Bible says this, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in the soul gathered to him. Remember that first verse we read when we began the message in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, where it said, and he went, ran to the cave of Adullam. The next verse is this. It says, everybody who was in distress, everybody who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in their soul, like literally everybody that was messed up was with him. He was like, dude, I am down right now. I need some encouragers around me. And instead, what he gets is people that are worse than his situation around him. It's amazing, y'all. It's amazing because sometimes God surrounds you with certain people for a reason. You know, in Psalms, he says, I'm surrounded by lions. I'm with some rough dudes is what he's saying. And later on, actually, he talks about it and he says, the, his warriors, the people that were with him, his mighty men, they were lion-faced men. That's what he says. But for me... Rich, that's who I want to go to war with, lion-faced men. I don't want to go to war with some gerbil-faced men. You know what I'm saying? Like, who wants to do that? Yeah, they need healing. Yeah, they need to sober up. Yeah, I'm going to sing to them. I'm going to pray over them. And as you read the full story of, 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 of David, these men that were down, these men that were distressed, these men that were pain, these men that were in pain, these men that were bitter are the men that come through healing with David. And these are the men that stand with him. And they're called as David's mighty men. It's in the cave while he sings, while he praises, while he worships that God forms his cabinet. God was building David's kingdom inside of a cave. Do not discount your cave. Do not speak down to your cave. Do not avoid your cave. You have no idea. God is building your kingdom and making you a king inside of your cave. I cannot stress this enough. Worship team, would you come up? If I have one question for you, that one question is this. What song are you singing in your cave? Because it's not your end. It isn't your end. You know, when David gets out of the cave, he flees to Moab. And he seeks shelter in the stronghold of Moab. The prophet comes running to him and says, David, what are you doing? These, these are not the people that you need to be with. You cannot be over here. I want you to escape and run to the forest of Horesh. So he gets up and he runs to Horesh. Sometimes, man, when we're in pain, when we're in desperation, we tend to yield and we tend to cling on to strongholds. That word, 
It was, was, was stronghold, the, 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 the place in Moab, it was, it was a stronghold, and, and God looked at him and said, escape from that, I want you to go to Horesh. The word Horesh means carve or to etch. God is inviting you into the forest of character, where he wants to shape you. Would you stand up to your feet, church? There was this renowned sculptor, an artist by the name of Agostino D'Antonio. He had worked diligently, yet unsuccessfully, for many years on this large piece of marble. And eventually, he gave up his efforts and he said, I can do nothing with it. It's very rare that an artist will give up on a piece of sculpture he's, wait, he's working on, but he was done with it. He gave it up. There were other people that actually came up and picked up that piece of marble and said, hey, let me see what I can do with it. And every person saw voids. They saw cracks. They saw deformities in that piece of marble that they said, no, we're not going to touch that. It laid in a heap of rubbish for 40 years. 40 years. There was a young up-and-coming sculptor that was out strolling one day and he saw the stone. He looked, he looked at it once, he looked at it twice, went around, examined it, and he said, man, this piece, of, this piece of marble has so much of potential. And you and I probably know what happened from that seemingly worthless stone. This man called Michelangelo carved one of the world's finest and most famous masterpieces of sculpture called... David you know when the master's hand carves into you he can take nothing and what everybody else rejected and you might be in the cave but God says sometimes I got to take you into the forest of Haresh because that's sculpting ground for you sometimes the cave is protection and sometimes the next phase is where he sculpts you and he carves you and he says, I have a plan and a purpose in your life. We are all broken. We're all, we're all discarded like that marble. Sometimes for years together, but God looks at the potential in you and me and says, there's so much inside of you that I don't want you to give up on it. More than anything else, God sent his son for you and for me. In many ways, David is like a mirror image of Jesus Christ who was dejected, who was rejected by his own people, ran away. But by the masterful plan of God, God brings him into God's ultimate purpose. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. And if there are any things that you're praying about today, if there's any needs that you have, if you just need somebody to stand with, agree with, and pray with, with your family, with uh, something to do with your job. It doesn't matter what it is. Richard and Lisa are going to be here and uh, they would love to pray with you. I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in a few moments of worship and I'm going to come back and close out. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.